This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani. And Paul, you and I are back together for just a regular episode of Better Call Paul. I wouldn't say regular, but yeah, we're back. Back at it. It's been a while. Another great episode. But Mesh, you were traveling for business, I assume. How was that? Yeah, it was good. I was in L.A. with a pit stop in Vegas for my cousin's 40th. Made it back home alive, which was good. Oh, LA. nice. It was nice to be in L.A. You know, I haven't been out there in, in a little bit. And I like L.A. in these short bursts. I appreciate it. It's nice to just be in a place where it's sunny. One random story, I had a meeting in Beverly Hills, and then I had a second meeting in West Hollywood, and I hadn't done any walking, and I really liked my walks. So I walked from Beverly Hills to West Hollywood, like just down the hill, and then on the street. Oh, wow, that's a hike. And I think people were looking at me, because it was just me, jeans, sneakers, and a backpack. And I think people thought, like, oh, this guy... You know, maybe he's hitchhiking, doesn't have a place to live because it's not yeah, normal. Yeah, it's not to really do a walking that. city. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Maybe in like Santa Monica, Venice downtown, yeah. Yeah. there's certain neighborhoods where people walk. It was fun. It's a car town. It is a car yeah. town. It is a car town. But other than that, yeah. it was a good trip. I'm, I'm glad to be back. We've got that fall weather is finally coming to New York City. The best time of the year and you can feel it. People starting to decorate their homes with some Halloween stuff and you know the pumpkin spice is all out there and uh, I I think we're getting into a point where people might want to go to the movies again because I've had a lot of people ask me like hey what's playing what's playing because it's getting a little chillier and to kick off the show Paul I went and saw the Creator, the movie made by Gareth Edwards, who did Monsters, Rogue One, Godzilla, starring John David Washington. You probably maybe have heard of it because it hasn't really been marketed during these these weird times with the strikes. I've heard of it because they market it during sports okay. and the kid has no ears or something and you're, you're like, what is this a robot or something? <laughs> yeah, 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 basically. Yeah. I haven't seen any advertisements, so I, I feel like most people don't know. There's not really many. Know. There's, no, there's not, not many. many. I mean, it's kind of a low budget, but I remember Jess, we saw an ad and Jess was like, is that the guy from Tenet? 
And then I was like, yeah, you mean Denzel's son? Denzel's son, otherwise known as John David Washington. He was also in Black Klansman. He was in uh, Ballers, which was the HBO show with Dwayne Johnson. Look, I'm just going to go ahead and say, if you want to go watch a movie, go watch this movie. Gareth Edwards does a beautiful job. It's not like an original story, It's but it is a beautiful way that they put it together. He this says is, it is an original story. Sorry, it is an original story. We've seen the plot line before, right? It's kind of like Got it. similar yeah, sci-fi, to like a, AI. Yeah, sci- sci-fi AI, kind of like avatar where it's like the humans versus this other group and there's a miscommunication, like the narrative has been hijacked. It's a similar storyline to that, but I'd say, yes, original story, humans versus AI, beautifully shot on an $80 million budget. It's better CGI than every Marvel movie I've seen in the last few years. It looks like it had like two, $300 million of a budget. And I think what that's what he's known for. He's really known for, Gareth Edwards is known to like stretch a budget and make things feel really real and beautiful. Like the way it's shot is beautiful. The Special effects are incredible. I loved it. I cried. Not going to lie. Yeah, so the whole thing with it being an original story. So um, Gareth Edwards said that part of the reason, right, because you said he did Monster, Monsters, then Godzilla, Godzilla, then Rogue One, which I thought was awesome. But then it was seven years until the creator. And he said, well, he didn't intend for it to be seven years, but part of the challenge is getting someone to fund an original sci-fi story. Yes. It's not like if he wanted to do another Star Wars movie or maybe another franchise film, it probably yeah. probably wouldn't have had to wait seven years. But because he had this original take on AI, it took a little bit longer. And as you said, for context, typical tentpole film, you said an $80 million budget, right? So yeah. typical tentpole film would be at the high end, $300 million. I mean, obviously, if it's like one of the Avengers movies, it could be above that. Barbie was like 150, Oppenheimer was about 100, but that's the low end of the range. And he made the creator for 80, which is really impressive. And he had a completely different strategy, which is instead of actually building a bunch of sets and having a huge VFX budget, they went all over the world to find locations that matched what was in the script or as close as possible. And then they just enhanced it with VFX and CGI. Yeah. And so like back to the original, like, yes, original script, original story. Uh, What I meant is like, we've seen like stories like that, uh, you know, human versus this humans versus that, but it was a different take. The special effects were like, it was stuff that I haven't seen before. And I think when you're on an $80 million budget, like you want to make things pop. And I think, Part of that was the settings. The settings were a main character. They were in the Himalayas, Indonesian volcanoes, floating islands in Thailand. And like, I very much noticed that the setting was a huge part of the movie and it didn't feel fake. Like nothing felt fake. I didn't ever sit there and be like, oh my God, that looks so CGI. Not once. If anything, I was like, whoa, do you remember that movie District 9? Yeah. It was like that, where you're like, that was a low-budgeted sci-fi movie, and you're just like, whoa, how are they doing these effects? And I think it goes back to, I think the audience wants original stories. Like, we want things that are new, and we're going to go watch it. I think the unfortunate thing about this movie is that it's a weird time. It seems that John David Washington just has bad timing with big movies that come out. Like Tenant yeah. came out during COVID. This movie came out during the actor and writer strike. So right after Barbie Oppenheimer, which I think had a bit of like before the strikes happened. Remember, and then- if you remember, uh, SAG extended their deal two weeks 
Right. It was supposed right. to end June 30th, but they extended, they did a two week extension to keep negotiating. And that was right around Barbenheimer because Barbenheimer came out like the second or third week of July. So they were still able to keep promoting it up until the, the week of release. Yeah. And like the actors weren't allowed to promote this film. I didn't see anything anywhere until randomly. I'm like, what is this movie that came out? Which is also funny because Dumb Money has also come out too, which is the GameStop movie. Right. And that's been talked about for a while that that was barely, that didn't have that big of a marketing push either. I'm actually going to go watch that today. Let me know what you think about Dumb Money. I mean, I don't think it's crossed 4 million yet. It's been yeah. in theaters for what, two weeks now? At least two weekends. But no, that's, so the thing about the creator, I, the reason I, I really like Rogue One, and so Gareth Edwards is interesting to me because he's like, and a lot of people are, will say this, when you're starting out, you don't have a bunch of money to, to spend, yeah. right? So you have yeah. to make everything, you have to stretch every dollar as far as yeah. possible. So Monsters was like $300,000 budget. <laughs> yeah, crazy. And he was like, so you, if you told me when I was making Monsters that I could spend like 300 times this, yeah. right, I would make the best movie ever. But then right. somehow in this relentless pursuit of perfection, studios like they want to they overspend, right? And it's not like they're trying to spend money wastefully, but it's like they spend a ton of money on VFX. They build sets for scenes that may not even end up in the movie. And right. obviously the talent budgets get really out of control. So once you have money and you're in the big studio ecosystem, it doesn't necessarily get spent as efficiently. And that's always one of the, the things that a filmmaker is trying to balance. It's like, I need to make every dollar count, but the waste just sort of creeps in. So, you know, I think $80 million to me sounds like a lot of money, but for him, he's like, I mean, that's a really, it is a lot of money, sure, but it's like not that much for what we're making. And just in comparison, Godzilla was $160 million budget. Rogue One was $220 million budget. This was 80 and only brought in 30. But again, you know, what I hope that doesn't happen is that studios are like, look, this month, it didn't make money. It's like, well, you spent like a third of the budget and you didn't market it. I think that's what's so important about that. You have to spend money to market a movie. I read something else that like there weren't that big names attached to it, but I don't know if that's like John David Washington is like good actor. I, I get it that it's not a big, big star, but I really want this guy to be like, he's good. He's good he in good. everything that he does. He is good. I want to see it. I like that. And it, and it's very prophetic timing wise because yes. the movie was written and it's like people are protesting AI. When he wrote the movie, that was kind of a distant thought. And now it's yes, like here yes. in our everyday life. We'll talk about it towards the end of the show. You know, he's writing a movie about p picket lines about AI. and But the goal of the movie, I think, is to maybe even give you a sympathetic side of AI. Yeah, bro. I want to see it. I won't say anything about the movie. I will say it moved me. I kept turning to my friend. I was like, how come no one's watching this movie? And then like, why is this movie so amazing? Like we were, We both walked out. We had tears. We were both like, that was incredible. Like, I want to walk out a movie and be like, damn, I just paid for a ride. That was a ride. And that movie is like that. I mean, that's a ringing endorsement. Gareth Edwards. There you go. Great job. There you go. He used ILM, which is like one of the best VFX, Industrial Light and Magic, which was started by George Lucas way back when. And he said they scoured the earth. They went to a ton of different locations to make this. And hopefully more people see it, if that's the takeaway. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope it, it well, hopefully it'll, ha it'll have a good streaming run. But yeah, highly recommend you go watch it. Everyone go watch it. But let's take a break and we'll get back, of course, to talk about what's going on with the latest SAG update.
So, Mesh, um, coming back, as we discussed last week, WGA reached an agreement with the AMPTP on a three-year extension to their CBA to end their strike. And then it was voted for ratification, and so the writers are back to work. You can see in certain aspects of writing, like late-night TV shows are already back. Other shows have announced they're coming back. Other things are going to go into pre-production. But until the actor SAG strike ends, Hollywood is not going to be chugging at full speed the way it right. was before. And even once that strike ends, there's going to be some a little bit of lag and getting, getting things back up and running again because there's so much disruption. So as we said, SAG's been on strike since the middle of July, and they obviously would like to get a new deal done. And because the WGA broke some new ground in terms of data sharing on streaming and protections around AI, there's a thinking that maybe this framework that the WGA established could help SAG get to the finish line in their negotiations with the AMPTP. And so they met last week and they're going to continue meeting this week. And this time it's, and so when we talked about this last week, we said the people who were on the ground in the negotiation said that it wasn't until the lead negotiators for the WGA got in a room with Bob Iger, Dave Zaslov, Donna Langley, and Ted Sarandos, that they started making real progress in terms of like what mattered to the talent and what mattered to the studios. Yeah, And so hopefully the thinking is that that will happen here. You have the four content CEOs slash CEOs meeting with the head of the union. SAG is obviously the biggest union in the entertainment industry. And hopefully they can get to some place where they realize like everyone's got more to gain by getting a deal done than by dragging this out. Yeah, I mean, I think those are the people that you need in the room. Like the decision makers for the multi-billion dollar companies that can represent, I guess, everyone from the studio side and the business side. It's interesting. I mean, I think we're feeling it just from a consumer side. Uh, hey, like in this case, we we're just talking about it, like going to the movies, wanting to see stuff, wanting to watch stuff. Things need to get done because it, it seems like it's going to be on backlog and it's going to take a while for things to catch up again. I mean, this is kind of like COVID all over again from a, a different issue. It's just like this backup of for consumers scripted. want more. For, for scripted. scripted. Yeah. But there's still like there's still sports are still going on. Right. So sports the thing with COVID on, yes. was like that kind of shut down right, live right. sports and scripted and unscripted. And, and so you had like esports and a lot of documentaries. But now we're really testing the scripted backlog and you can see like CBS is airing the first season of Yellowstone, which is like five years old. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so anyway, there's still like NBA is about to start. Hockey's about to start baseball playoffs, college football, NFL. We'll talk about it, potentially another football renaissance. So there's things going on, but as far as scripted and what you're the biggest fan of and having the stars out there promoting things again, that is going to take a sag strike resolution yeah i was i was surprised because like i wasn't really watching anything you know on a sunday i'll watch uh, the arsenal game or whatever it's on a saturday or sunday i'll check in on some football here and there but i haven't really been watching anything and then suddenly it's like oh the morning show's out with season three which is by the way if you're interested in watching like a fictional version of everything that's happening with streaming and all the stuff that we talk about, Elon Musk streaming season three of the morning show is playing that narrative and it's kind of entertaining. It's a little funny, but it is it is an interesting narrative to go by. Loki season two just came out. You know, we just had the end of season three of 
only murders in the building that just got picked up for season four. It's like there's some stuff to watch still. And I think it's coming now that we're in fall season, man. This is it. Right. This is where a lot of the big shows people start watching for the next few months. It is. And so the, obviously the backlog is running dry and they need to start getting up and running again. But one of the impediments to getting a deal done as was the case with WGA, is AI. And how does yes, the industry yes. put guardrails around AI? And so our, our boy, Duncan Crabtree Ireland, uh, who's lead negotiator, co-lead negotiator with SAG, was actually testifying in front of the, or he appeared before the FTC in DC, along with other creative industry heads representing yep. talent to discuss the dangers of AI and how it could encroach upon human contributions and human creativity. And his view is like, hey, if the studio got wind of an artist that had an algorithm to sort of recreate one of their works or like, oh, yeah. you know, trained an algorithm and made a new Star Wars movie, like a fan edit Star Wars movie, the studios would shut that down so fast. 100%. So he's saying, well, why isn't that the same case when someone recreates an actor's likeness, name, voice? Uh, and this sure. has actually happened recently with created a digital recreation, AI recreation of Tom Hanks and Mr. Beast. To yeah. try to use their likeness to sell product. And both Tom Hanks and Mr. Beast had to go on social media and say, no, this wasn't me. Don't believe this. And, uh, you know, Duncan's like, it should be a two-way street, right? Like, the same protections that the studios want for their content. 100%. You know, we should have for our likeness and for what we create as a, as a writer, as an author, as an actor, as a singer, whatever. And so we'll see where that goes. But one of the issues is even if, all the AMPTP protections that were agreed to in the WGA agreement were applied to SAG. It doesn't really solve the issue of recreating someone's likeness. Maybe you could ask an approval, right? And most of the companies that are really at the cutting edge of AI aren't AMPTP members, right? They're more like big tech. They're not content studios. Yeah, well, I think it's important, less so for a Tom Hanks, more so for a Mr. Beast. For those who are not familiar with Mr. Beast, he is probably one of the most popular YouTube creators in the world. Hundreds of millions of subscribers. This guy made $80 million last year in revenue between you know his businesses. He is everywhere. If you now start paying attention, and Mr. Beast creates his own content, and you know he's got all these kids following him and uh, young adults. I think for him to go out and say, as a creator, like, my voice can get replicated with a deep fake, like that's not okay, because that's more likely to be spread on social media and on YouTube and on TikTok where he exists in that world. So I think it was important for someone like him to come out and for the tech community, right? The tech community really respects people like Mr. Beast because you know, it's it's YouTube. It's part of those platforms that he pushes out being an independent creator. Right, if Mr. Beast is making 80 million, YouTube's making way more. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so like for them, for him to say that, because the tech community generally respects him, you know, like, for example, for those who have played this game called Stumble Guys, it's a game that Scopely bought. Scopely is also the owner of Monopoly Go. Stumble Guys does like $100 million in revenue. This is a game. I play it a lot. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm not proud of it, but I play it a lot. It is so addictive. And Mr. Beast, they just launched a whole Mr. Beast campaign on it. You can play Mr. Beast Squid Game type thing. Like, he is everywhere. And I think that, yeah, a lot of people want to mimic that because they want to, hey, if Mr. Beast endorses me, let me see if I can get a deep fake of that. How does tech, how do AI companies solve that problem? I don't know if it's like 
watermarking or something like that. Do you remember like watermarking where you'll yeah. see in the corner that's been created? But I don't know if that's going to be like if you created a deep fake of something somewhere else, it has to have a watermark on it or something. I don't know how you solve it, but it's a scary thought. Yeah, I mean, you would have to have some sort of like takedown process like the DMCA where it, watermark is great, but like most people on social media maybe aren't looking for the watermark or may not yeah, care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so the question true. is, you know, and I'm just thinking out loud on the in the moment, sure. but you would have something like, you know, the DMCA says if you own a copyrighted work and particularly with respect to music or whatever, video clips, and you see someone monetizing it on YouTube that doesn't own the, own the right to it or some other platform, you know, any sort of internet platform, you have to let the platform has to have a reception bucket or whatever, an agent to get notice of that. And then it has to quickly take it down and it has to take steps against repeat uh, infringers. So I guess that would mean that everyone has to be policing their likeness online to see what's real, what's fake. And then yes. they let the platforms know. But that's a whole additional level of work. I, it seems like a one potential path, but just having some honor system that people are only going to create content that's consented to and, and authorized. tough. That's dangerous because it could be exploited. But um, what the Actors Guild is saying is they want credit, compensation, and consent rights over any digital recreation of, of their the results of their performances or their likeness. This is something that it's crazy how quickly it's it's emerged and it's become real. I remember there was an episode we talked about the Kendrick Lamar deep fake music video yeah, 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 last yeah. year. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to Jess and Jess is like, you know, she, she would describe me as a paranoid person. She's like, it's such a paranoid person. Surprising that you would have a <laughs> podcast, you know, because like you don't want to be recorded. Like we don't have any Alexa products or sure, anything in sure, our house. Sure. And I was like, yeah, but the thing is with the cost benefit that I did with the podcast is like, because I have control over what we release, we can have a high level of quality. And she was like, yeah, but someone could just take your recording and recreate you and say what they want you to say. And I didn't realize that that was so realistic, but apparently it only takes a few seconds of yeah, someone's voice to recreate their tone. Well, I mean, look, Descript is a platform where you can edit audio and video and Descript has Descript AI that allows you to dub. Essentially, it learns your voice. And like, so if we were editing on Descript, for example, and I looked at the transcript and it said, well, you said the word wrong or I said the word wrong, we could replace it. We would just type in the word we want and it would dub it in with our voice, which is crazy. It's like Succession where they're trying to get Logan Roy to say something about the home program. And like, he didn't say <laughs> yeah. it in the record. So they're like, how yeah. much can we edit this? And the guy's like, well, right, there's right. realistic. And then there's like pushing the bounds. So, I mean, that goes, that goes back to like editing a video. Like you see all the time where a long interview is edited in a certain way for someone to have a, it, there's no context. If there's no context, you've edited someone saying something in a certain way. Like that's not much different, right? Then, yeah. well, I guess that's, it's, it's, it's similar well, in it's, terms of I the mean, results. Editing something selectively to change what, take what they say out of context is different than recreating what they they said, but sure, both of them yeah. raise concerns about authenticity and and certainly something that AI allows people to do with greater ease than ever before. Well, going back to the editing, it could be something where I say, I agree with you, Paul. And obviously Val, our editor could say, take something where I say don't and just place it in before. I don't agree with you, Paul, like in a right. simple edit that's possible. Not to get into the weeds of this stuff, but it is, it is, there's a lot there's a lot happening here and it feels like everyone's getting into the mix here and everyone's taking this pretty seriously. Yeah, and we'll do a deep dive on the author's guild specifically in a couple of weeks uh, and and hope to hopefully we'll learn more about 
how this thing is evolving and how protections might work. And and hopefully they get applied to SAG and WGA and whatever, because, you know, what we want to do is keep content flowing and not have this fear of what could happen, prevent us from moving forward. But we also need guardrails. Agreed. Let's take a break and let's get back. And we're going to talk about the USFL and the XFL merger. So, Mesh, we frequently talk about football. The NFL is the biggest game in town. As we said, the average NFL franchise is valued, estimated to be $5 billion. It's crazy. Cowboys, over $9 billion. The league in and of itself generates rights fees of $13-plus billion a year, and that's locked in for the next 10 years. So it is a huge business. It's the most-watched show on linear television. It generates the highest ad revenue per spot. So football is the king of linear television and media in the U.S. And so the question really is, could another professional football league exist? Because the NFL season is only five months, say only. It's really from August to January. And the question is, could a spring football league exist? And this is something that's been tried for decades, right? The USFL started in the 80s, then it folded, then it came back quickly the XFL started in the 19, late 90s, and it was only around for By two Vince years. By Vince McMahon, right? By From Vince McMahon, WWE. yeah. And then it folded, and then it resurfaced in 2020. It was unfortunate, and then it, the pandemic killed it. USFL right. came back in 2022, and so they recently announced last week the XFL and the USFL plan to merge. They've not disclosed any details about the terms of their agreement, but they have a term sheet agreed They've sent it to the DOJ. Assuming that that goes forward, they're going to combine forces and try to create the best possible spring football league. I can see the case why you would want a football league to rival the NFL. Certainly, the USFL, for those that don't know, is part of it is owned by Fox. It's backed by Fox. And the XFL is part owned by Redbird Capital and The Rock and his ex-wife, Danny Garcia. Right. And when XFL went in bankruptcy and right around COVID, The Rock and other investors bought it out of bankruptcy for $15 million. The USFL is founded by Fox, and Fox and NBC carry the games. And if you are you know, a broadcaster like Fox and you're sitting there writing billion-dollar checks to the NFL just for the right to carry games every year, it would be great if you could have a competitive product that maybe rivaled at some point in the future that you owned, right? Like if you owned all the telecasts and you owned the copyright and you weren't paying this huge license fee every year to carry games, I mean, that's something that a lot of networks would want to have, a lot of investors would want to have a piece of. The issue is if it never gets off the ground with fans, you can't throw money at it endlessly. And that's why these leagues, they get started. There's all these aspirations for it to do well and start generating revenue. But after a year or two, they're so expensive to maintain with the stadiums and the teams and paying people and the insurance, getting telecast and getting people to watch and sell tickets, all of that. Like generating revenue and growing a league is so hard to do. And by the way, we already have college football as the complement to NFL, although they do overlap the same time of year. Wouldn't the point be to do it complimentary when there's a gap in watching? Like, I wouldn't want to compete with the NFL. Well, that's why um, That's why they're, it's a spring league. So it's supposed spring to be league. from like February to May or something. But let me ask you a question. So someone, you're a big football fan. Would you watch, like, would why would you watch the, you know, USFL or XFL if it's players that are 
not in the NFL. So let's assume it's people either they're, they 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 got cut from the NFL or they're they didn't make it to the NFL post college. Is that something that interests you? Like, would you watch it? Well, let me make the case for and maybe the case against because I, I don't want to really take a position. Two episodes ago, we were doing an episode with the USC NIL Collective, Conquest Collective. Yeah. You're talking about it's getting into the NFL. You have to be in the top one or two percent of college players, right? right. So it's super competitive. Right. So it seems to me that like the third or fourth percent, like the 96th, 97th percentile college player is probably pretty good as well. Pretty maybe good. Yeah, 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 yeah. could field a competitive football team, right? So maybe the just off the overflow of people that can't quite make it to the league or get out of the league after a year, maybe there's enough talent there to have a competitive league. I don't know. But the other thing is if you are so addicted to watching football that when the NFL season ends after the Super Bowl, you need something to do like February, March, April, May, you know, they have the NFL draft in April. But like if you're craving football, maybe if you're that diehard fan, then you would actually watch it. Now, I'm not saying I would, but there are people that like once the Super Bowl happens, they like get sad about the fact that they have to wait seven months for football to start again so maybe there is something there yeah well i wonder if it, it would be interesting if we look at soccer like in europe we look at there's syria la liga there's the premiership and the top teams of all that then compete in the champions league and i wonder if there's a thing there where or even even if you're like to make it to the premier league you have to make it from a different league and be in the top of that league and i wonder if there's something where this league could be, hey, the top two, three teams potentially get to compete in the NFL. And so now you have like year round. No way. Would, I know that would never happen, but no way. I mean, from the only a- thing, the only thing <laughs> that would happen is if, right, because the NFL is, is, it's in a different stratosphere. Yeah. So, you know, those teams, like you said, $5 billion yes, um, yes, average yes. value. So you're not going to be able to get another team. In that you'd have to completely renegotiate. There's the NFL, already CBA. people trying to get a new team already, and like this wouldn't help. These teams are probably they're they're probably worth in like the millions, if anything. Um, yeah, I'm the whole league of, sold for fifteen yeah. million out of bankruptcy, right? So <laughs> right, right. Yeah, if you're a billionaire, maybe you're taking a shot, right? Like you're like, hey, maybe this thing grows. Maybe there's a fan base. The other thing is the XFL. At least in when it first started, I don't know if you remember, but they had all these like. They tried the to embody all the, right? the rules were different because it was Vince McMahon. So he wanted yeah. to take like that entertainment value of wrestling and something yeah, like that. That's the what flashiness. I remember. It was more like violent, not more, violent. Well, but it was I don't know action. if it's more violent. It was less structured. And yes, yes, yes. There were you could do more things. If they could take a different approach on rules approach. and make the game yeah. more entertaining, because like football in and of itself is not something that you can copyright, right? Like the actual game of people playing football, you can always take have your own take on rules and stuff, but the telecasts and the logos and the teams, that's intellectual property, but not necessarily just people playing, throwing a football around, trying to tackle each other. Yeah, I mean, I think about it two ways. One, it could be like soccer's got 11 on 11, and then there's more like street soccer, which is either five on five or six on six, whatever it ends up being, which is more like tricks, more people doing fan, like street style. And then, right. you know, if we look at, I mean, even with like the UFC, if the UFC, then you have like one one championship, you have Bellator. Again, they're not as you want to be in the UFC, like that's where the best of the best goes. But at least you have these other these other um, 
you know, groups that do things. And then if we look at, you know, minor leagues in general, we look at basketball, there's the European League, like people don't watch it as much. And I don't know if it could work. Well, there's also like the big three, which is a three on three basketball league, which again is a variation. Yeah. Yeah. The question is, are fans going to going to really care? Because ultimately, the NFL, the reason it's able to generate that enormous amount of revenue is because people are always tuned in, right? Like the telecasts are very highly rated. People are watching it. People are attending the games. People are paying the tickets. No matter how exorbitant the price is, people still want to pay. And if it weren't, if it's not for that fervent fan passion, the league's not going to succeed. Yeah, I wonder, uh, to your point about nonviolent, I think it would be cool maybe if it's... Um you still want to watch Flag? your favorite players play. Yeah. Like just something yeah. like low key where like maybe if players who play in the NFL want to still be active, they can still play a bit. It's fun. Every It's it's kind of like watching the all-star game for the NBA, right? Like you, it's more fun. Everyone knows not to try to injure the other person. Well, so I'm may, sure the player contracts the would prevent them from competing sure, in like sure. some yeah. competitive so, league. There you, but, there you go. Yeah. Maybe in the off season you can negotiate for the right to do that, but at this point, you're making so much as an NFL player, even a fringe player, and they're still like, why would you training, risk it? right? Like, yeah. yeah, why would you risk it? But they're still training in the offseason. If you're a player in the NFL, it is a 365-day-a-year commitment, but I imagine. I guess the only thing that makes sense then is more like, I'm in college, I didn't make it to the NFL, and there's a whole group of really amazing players to still watch, and it's just you're just watching the minors, basically. You are, but you would need a fan base. like That, that takes time to grow before right, it right, right, becomes right, profitable. Right. But um, sure. So it's very risky. I mean, I'm just saying the risk is really there. I mean, it's, it I would, would be very hard. I would a couple years ago, a headhunter reached out and asked me if I wanted to join the XFL. They were looking for like, um, I don't know how high the title was or the general counsel or some senior counsel. And oh, I thought about serious? it. I thought about it for like a day. And then I, I remember I was talking to one of my really uh, close friends who's, because I'm kind of a risk taker. But he was like, man, I just, I don't, the thing is that league could fold so quick. And it did, totally. it folded five months later, so. Well, I think the amount of times it's already folded and the fact they're doing a merger now, I think that says a lot. Like, it, it just seems too risky unless you're, like, not in the NFL. And, you, you know, from a player standpoint. Right. And if you just have an enormous amounts of money and you don't mind risking, like, in this case, I don't think, it's not like Dwayne Johnson put all his eggs in one basket you know what i'm saying no when you uh, buy something out of bankruptcy you know you're you're hoping it's a lottery ticket you're yeah, hoping yeah, that you exactly. have an angle that whoever was running before didn't see and plus you can discard some of the contracts that are bad and you get a kind of a first right, start right but it's not necessarily like if it were worth a lot then someone would have bid more sure yeah. yeah interesting so i guess we'll see what happens with it uh yeah let's let's i look forward to it we'll see uh we should know in about a month what the doj is saying and then yeah the, to- the terms of the merger will come out awesome well that's our show for this week folks hope you enjoyed it we'll keep you updated on all things make sure you subscribe to the podcast apple spotify wherever you choose to listen better call paul the podcast on instagram TikTok, follow me on Twitter, or sorry, X at Meshlakani. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. Have a great week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>